title. So the message that I have is, is titled, Where Do You Stand? And so we uh, can find ourselves either standing um, in Jesus or we find ourselves standing outside of him. But there's, there's no middle ground or there's no in-between. So it's either we are in or we are out. And so what I want to do um, this evening or this afternoon is I really want to look at what the scripture says about our position in Christ and our position outside of Christ. And so I don't want to take a lot of time because I, I really want to leave room for the Holy Spirit to really minister to us at the end. And I normally like to give a nice detailed introduction when I do a message. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll even say something funny because, you know, that makes me comfortable and it makes you comfortable. But um, I'm not going to do that today. Because the message that I have isn't one of comfortability. In fact, it's a, it's a very uncomfortable message. And so I've just been feeling that the Lord really wants to, as a church, He wants to cut us to the heart. He wants to, to even wake us up and refine us. And so instead of giving an introduction, I want to just pray again for us and trust that the Lord would, would minister to us. Yeah, Father God, it's, it's such a privilege, Lord, to be able to share your word. And Lord, today, this isn't my words, Lord, but it's your words. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, even as I've been praying this week, Lord, first start with me. Cut my heart, Lord. Search my heart, O oh God. I pray, Lord, that the fear and the reverence of God would be so present here today, Lord. Lord, would you give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church today? Oh, Lord, prepare our hearts. Help us to posture our hearts so we can receive today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do first is I've got a couple of verses. I'm just going to read those verses, and you kind of can see where I'm going from there. So the first one is Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you will practice lawlessness. And then Matthew 15, verse 8. These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Revelation 3, 14 to 16. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation or the creation of God. And I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. And I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Then Matthew 13, 27 to 30 says, So the servants, this is the parable of the weeds and the tears. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tears? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said to them, No, lest while you gather up the tears, you also breed the wheat with them. And then lastly, Luke 6, 43 to 46. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good fruit. Or good. 
And an evil man has an evil stage of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not think the things that I say? So the one thing all these people have in common is, is that they all profess to know him. They all profess to be believers. So they might even look like believers. They might go to church. They own a Bible. They read the Bible. They might even say a prayer. But the thing about the weeds and the tears is they look exactly the same. You only start to notice a difference when the fruit starts to be visible. And Jesus says every tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. Jesus says these people, they, they don't obey him. They don't do the Father's will. And they're neither cold nor they are, and they're lukewarm, and so he will spit them out of his mouth. So 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Now Paul is writing to a church. This is people that profess themselves to be believers. And he says to them, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed, you are disqualified. So where do you stand? So I want to do something different. I want to ask you as a church that you would close your eyes. And I've got some really challenging questions that I want to ask you in a moment. And I would ask that you would be honest with you and the Lord and that you would examine yourself based on these questions. If you could all just please close your eyes. So the first thing that I want to ask you is, if I were to go right now to the people that you live with, the people that you go to school with, the people that you work with, the people that doesn't see you in church, if I asked them how you represented Jesus, what would they say? If I could put your life on the big screen right now, the things that no one sees you do, what would we see? Can people see a difference in your life since you profess Jesus as Lord? What about your social media? If I were to pull your Facebook account right now up, what would we see? What would the post that you post speak about Jesus? Or do you look just like the world? So believers are commanded to be the light and the salt of the world. But if the salt has lost its flavor, then it's useless. If a light doesn't shine, then it's useless. Are you growing to be more like Jesus Christ and less of yourself? Are you being led by His Holy Spirit? Is the fruits of the Spirit evident in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control or the works of the flesh evident, sexual immorality, that's all sex outside of marriage, masturbations, porn, all of those things. What about discord, fits of rage or anger, selfishness, divisions, factions? Scripture says that all those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the children of God. What about your devotion time? Do you earnestly seek Jesus' heart in his word each and every day. And I'm not talking about just a checkbook that I've read the verse of the day and there I go. 
you desire to hear from him. So Peter says that we should earnestly desire the milk of the word. And it's interesting that he uses that analogy. Because the only time a baby doesn't desire milk is if that baby is sick. Do you desire his word? Do you desire to obey his word? Do you love to obey his commands? Or do you just hear it and forget it? Because James says that if you only hear and you don't do his word, then you are deceived. And Jesus says that if you love him, that you would obey his commands. How about your prayer life? Do you have a prayer life? And I'm not talking about two minutes of prayer requests and thank you, Lord, there I go. Are you pursuing God's heart in prayer each and every day? Are you actively striving to deny yourself and pick up your cross each and every day? Because Jesus says this is a requirement to be a follower of his, that you have to pick up your cross, die to yourself each and every day. What about your love for believers? Can you honestly say in your heart that you love the church? That you love God's people? Because Jesus says the world will know us as his followers by the way we have love for one another. You love his people. How about your love for the world? You still love the world and its sinful music or its perversion television? How about its value system? You still desire to fit into this world because john says that if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in them what about the sin in your life you continue to walk in willful sin you continue to compromise it's just a lie so i can get that job but just one more time because this is what the scripture says that if we say we have fellowship with jesus and we continue walking in darkness, then we lie and the truth is not in us. What about unforgiveness? You struggle to forgive people. Because Jesus says, unless you forgive the Father, in heaven will not forgive you. You find yourself making all kinds of excuses for the way you are living. You find yourself making excuses for why you can't gather with the church. Because on the day of judgment, the scripture says we'll have no excuse for not knowing him. So you can open your eyes. I know this is a hard question. Examine yourself. Do you not know if Jesus Christ is in you? Do you not know if he's in you? So if these questions cut you to your heart today, if these questions make you uncomfortable, then there's a chance that you don't stand where you think you stand. Now, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But if Jesus Christ truly is in you, then these fruits, they'll be evident. Because Jesus says that if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Do you not know if Jesus is in you? Where do you stand? So I want to look at what the scripture says about those that stand outside of Jesus. What is their position? So according to the scriptures, I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to quote them. It says, you stand as guilty outside of Jesus. You stand as dead in trespasses and sins. And you stand under the curse of sin, as slaves to sin. In fact, the scripture says that you stand under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. And that's Satan. 
And according to the scriptures, we stand as aliens and foreigners to God and not as his children. That we stand outside of Christ. There's almost this very universal false doctrine that says we all are God's children. Yes, we all are made in his likeness. But according to the scriptures, only those that find themselves in Christ are adopted as children of God. In fact, the scripture says that those that find themselves outside of Christ, you're an enemy of God. And you'll stand under the judgment of God. You will stand under the full wrath of God. And so the scripture then goes on to tell us the destination of all of those that find themselves out of Christ. And the scriptures paint us this very vivid image of a place of unimaginable torment and pain and suffering where it says that there will be a, a gnashing of teeth and weeping. Where the scripture says the worm dies not and the flames or the fire will not be quenched. So what does that mean? The worm dies not. When something dies, maggots consume their flesh. And after the flesh is consumed, the maggot dies and becomes a fly. But not in hell. It says that Jesus is saying here that in hell the torment never ends. You will be tormented for all eternity. The wrath of God will be poured upon the sinner for all eternity and will never be satisfied. And that's the portion that man finds himself as a sinner outside of Jesus Christ. No wonder Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else. And there's a reason for that because it's meant to rattle you. It's meant to shake you that you would do everything in your power to get to Jesus so that you don't end up there. And so when Jesus speaks about hell, it's actually this Greek word called Gehenna. And so it's a place in ancient times that was outside of Jerusalem. It was a valley. And so in this valley, it was, an, it was basically a garbage dump. And they would throw the carcasses of animals there. And they would throw even the most despicable criminals that dispose of their bodies in this valley. And in this valley, there would be worms and maggots. And there would be this unbearable stench and a fire that will burn all those things up. And Jesus says, that worms, they'll die. That fire will be quenched. But the place that sinners go to, the worm will not die. The fire will not be quenched. So where do you stand? I'll ask you that again. Where do you stand? That's the destination for all those that find themselves outside of Jesus Christ. That's the bad news. But there's also good news. Because the, the, the truth is that Jesus Christ saves sinners like me and like you. And if you are truly born again by His Holy Spirit and you've been truly saved by Him, you find yourself standing inside of Jesus Christ. And as we stand in Him, we have a position as His righteousness. We stand as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We stand as forgiven, redeemed, those whose sins have been washed away. That's what we find ourselves in Him. We find ourselves standing blessed in all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And we find ourselves with those that have access to the Father, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the scripture also goes to say that we stand in the grace of God. And that's Romans 5 verse 1 to 2. If you can maybe just pull that one up. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Oh, what glorious grace. This is the chief of sinners that's writing this. 
that the chief of sinners can stand in the grace of God forgiven, sins washed away. His sins has been separated as far as the east is from the west. And yes, that's what Paul called himself. He called himself the chief of sinners because he killed Christians for a living. And this man can now stand in the grace of God. And I often find myself having to explain what the true grace of God means. And Paul himself had to do this. And he writes to the Roman church and he, and he almost gives them two contrasting views. And he firstly says, should we continue sinning that grace may abound? And then he says, God forbid, I speak like a man. How can I continue? How can we continue living in sin? And then he says something very different. And he says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. But Paul, what are you saying? He's simply saying that if you have truly been saved by grace, you can no longer live the life of sin that you have once lived. But when you do fall short, as we all do fall short, that grace will cover you. In fact, it's grace that helps you in your temptation. Because Paul, when the thorn was in his flesh, and he asked the Lord, would you please remove the thorn? The Lord responded, my grace is sufficient for you. And then James writes to, to a church, and in James chapter 4, he says this, there's believers, they are struggling with all kinds of things, and he says, but God gives you more grace. But the accurate translation should actually be God gives you greater grace because the grace that God gives you is greater than the temptation for you to sin. And so when you do sin, it's because you chose to. In fact, the scriptures teach us is that grace actually teaches us to live holy lives. And that's Titus 2, 11 to 12. And that's the grace in which we stand. And as believers, we also find ourselves standing in Christian liberty. That's Galatians 5 verse 1. If you maybe want to pull that up. Stand, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. And do not be entangled by the yoke of bondage. Now what Paul is talking about is freedom from the observance of the Mosaic law. But if we think that Christian liberty means that we are now free to do whatever we want, if we don't understand Christian liberty, because in fact Christian liberty and true Christian liberty is actually freedom from the curse of sin, that we are no longer slaves to sin, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And it's freedom from the penalty of sin. And yes, we do have certain liberties as Christians, but if any liberty brings you into captivity, then no longer is that a liberty. And we also find ourselves standing in the gospel. Oh, what a glorious gospel that we can stand in. The gospel that Jesus Christ saves sinners like me and like you. And this gospel, in fact, becomes a part of us that we can give an account of the hope that is in us at any given time because that gospel has now become part of me and you. No wonder Paul said to Timothy that it's my gospel, but no, this isn't your gospel, Paul. Yeah, no, it's not mine. But it's a part of me. It's everything that I have is in the gospel. And he goes on to encourage the church that you should stand steadfast in the gospel. Remain in the gospel. Because we don't ever graduate from the gospel. We never do. And then we stand in, in unity. How amazing is it that God just knits our hearts together. Supernaturally you have a love for someone that you didn't know from a bar of soap. That's Christian fellowship. That's the unity in which we stand. We have one purpose and one goal, all to glorify Him. And that's the unity that we stand in. And I can 
Billy go on and on about our position we have in Christ, that we stand in all these things, but ultimately our goal is that we would stand perfect and complete in the will of God. And that's Colossians 4 verse, verse 12. But I'm not going to pull that up. That we may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. And that's why we have hard messages like this. That's why we have messages that can cut you to your heart, that you may turn away from the things that hold you from God, so that when you do stand before Him, He can say, well done, good and faithful servant, instead of saying, depart from me, you wicked servant. And so I want to land with Luke chapter 10. And we don't have to pull that one up. So Jesus gives this instruction to the disciples. There's 70 of them. And they're going to preach the good news that the kingdom of God has come. And he gives us some instructions that they're going to go to all these various cities. And he tells them if a city has rejected the gospel, that they should shake the dust of their feet as a testimony against that city. And Jesus goes on to warn them and he says that it would be worse for Sodom and Gomorrah, or for them, than for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. Now we can hear a verse like this and we can miss the weight of what this verse means. Because Sodom and Gomorrah were notoriously wicked. They were so evil that they'd make our criminals look like petty crimes. They literally demanded to rape those angels that appeared as men. That's as if me taking you guys to my hometown and the people of my hometown banged on the door and asked to have sex with you. That's how evil Sodom and Gomorrah were. But here Jesus says, those that reject the good news of the gospel, it will be worse for them in the day of the judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, the thing is, when the gospel is presented to you, the gospel shows you that you are a wicked and evil person, that you've broken God's laws and that you stand guilty before him and that you should be judged by God and the wrath of God should be poured upon you. But God intervenes by sending his son and he lives the perfect life that you and I couldn't live and he dies the death that we should die. And on the cross of Calvary, the full wrath of God is poured upon the son. And through his death and resurrection, me and you can have eternal life. But when you reject that gospel, it's worse for you in the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah. I want to ask you, church, if you've examined yourself today and you're saying to yourself, honestly, I find myself outside of Jesus Christ, I want to beg you today that you do not leave here without making right with Him. That you do not leave here without repenting of your sins and accepting Him as Lord and Savior. I beg you that you would do that. The Scripture tells us that it's appointed for man to die once and thereafter comes the judgment. There's no second chances after death. How many friends have we had that says, I'll see you tomorrow? And we didn't see them again. What if they died outside of Christ? They stood before him and he would have said, depart from me, you evil, wicked person. I never knew you. And for you today, and you, you say to yourself, I'm a believer. 
I have accepted him and, and he's changed my life. But there's areas that I lack in. There's areas that, that I need the Lord to change and I need him to help me in. I want to ask you that today that you would turn to him as well. That you would look towards Jesus and ask him to come and help you. I want to pray that you would really do that today. Don't leave here without making right. I ask Tony that to come up and, and, and just lead us in, in a time of ministry. And yeah, I just feel like the Lord really wants to speak to us today. I want to encourage you, church, that you would be bold and that you would respond to him. Don't leave here without responding today. Amen.